Welcome to Wisdom of Wanderlust, the podcast for travelers by travelers. I'm Michael Bennett, co-founder of ExplorerX. As a seasoned traveler, coach, and educator, I've dedicated my life to supporting people just like you and becoming the hero of their own story. And I'm Robin Goldblatt, a lifelong globetrotter, avid outdoors woman, and health nut, driven by my relentless curiosity and compassion for our world. Join us as we explore and discuss how to travel better and how to live a better, more fulfilling, and more mindful life. Hey everyone, welcome in. Today, our guest is David Alport. David is a certified personal and professional development coach who helps his clients navigate through life's transitions and live with more intention. Before becoming a coach, David spent over 20 years in the travel industry, including founding Out and About, a company that provided guidance for LGBTQ travelers through both print and digital media. David also spent six years supporting global health initiatives for the UN where his work took him to some of the world's most challenging destinations and opened his eyes to parts of the human condition not accessible on the beaten track. Today, we'll hear about how a trip to India changed David's life and how he approaches travel, why David goes back to certain destinations more than once, similarities between Burning Man and a refugee camp in Kenya, and what it means to travel and live with intention. Here's David. How are you guys doing? Good, yeah. good, good, good. It's been good. A, it's been a busy day. You know, I just got back from. I was up up at uh, up in the mountains, out in the Cascades at Jake's cabin, and and that place is is heaven on earth. David, did you ever make it there? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, we I think a couple times during the when we went out for that swim when everybody went into the water. I think after that we went to his place and. Yeah, I didn't got it. Okay. out there, but I saw it. It was really nice. It is a special spot, and uh, I got to go out there for a couple nights. So it's it's good. But now, of course, you get back to the real world, and your inbox is yelling at you. <laughs> <laughs> and David, you're on the you're on the West Coast right now. Yeah, I was in Salt Lake City this past weekend, kicking off uh, a six month engagement with the new coach that I just hired. And got to San Francisco Monday night, and we'll be between San Francisco and LA for the next three weeks. Do you, do you find that most coaches have coaches? I think most good coaches do. Because I mean, <laughs> they see the value in I, I mean, yeah. I, I think you've got to, I mean, for me, I engaged this guy because, you know, it's been about a year and a half since I've had a coach. And you just do the work by yourself and you know there's a limit to how much you can grow you know and mm -hmm. uh, this guy's he's you know, I, I think he's kind of a master and i'm confident he's gonna you know deepen my practice uh, i hope so it's you know also you know it's really powerful to be able to walk the walk when you're constantly trying to you know engage people in the possibility of coaching to have a coach. Right. I feel much, right. much more aligned with that, that enrollment process when I actually have a coach at the time. Mm -hmm. hmm. You're excited about working with this coach, David? Like, how did you find him? Oh, yeah. him? Well, he's, he's part of the broad world of people who probably descended and came together during Rich Litvin experiences. 
he's he's close with a guy who was my prior coach to him and I saw okay. him doing like a live coaching session on Facebook and I was like, whoa, this guy's really he's he really excels at some things that I think are not my great strengths, which is he's mm. really good at going for the uncomfortable. And I mean, you know, I think I'm a, I know where my strengths are, but he's very bold about, about going to, you know, saying kind of exactly what he thinks and not getting too worried about how it might affect the client. And he's, he, he's good. He was, he was a Buddha. He's a Buddhist. Is that a lot of that uh, infuses his practice. He does a lot of somatic work, work around embodiment Okay. So I think it's just going to be a bunch of tools to play with that are new for my toolbox. And I can already feel my excitement about bringing them to some of my clients. Lots of questions based on what you just said. Um, <laughs> but what, so what are your strengths as a coach? Like where do you see yourself excelling? Well, I mean, I'm very curious and I'm a very good listener and am very good at holding things that people want so that they can stay aligned with where they're trying to get to. I think pe people feel safe and are comfortable being vulnerable with me. Yeah, that's what I, you know, I, that's what I would yeah. say my thing is, you know, I'm so, I get so excited about the transformations that people want to make that it's, it's, it's sort of effortless for me to hold them there and keep them coming back to that stuff. So, I think people feel like they're they're very connected to the this, their sort of aspirational selves when they're with me because um, I sure. I get really into it. yeah it's it's interesting because I can imagine having coached and been coached it's easy to not easy but when you have this aspirational vision of where you want to be or what you want your life to be like it's real easy to back off of that, make excuses for why you can't have that or why you shouldn't have that or whatever it might be. And so having someone who can hold you accountable to that. Yeah. Is a really powerful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm coming off of one of the hardest coaching sessions I've ever had right before this, which is I had a, a young client, somebody much younger than I normally work with who is just really stressed out about work, which is not the primary thing we're focusing on. And he asked at the beginning of the session for like a three week, four week break, but it was so unprecise and like asking for a break is a big thing. You know, he's contracted mm -hmm. for a period of time and, you know, it's not really my practice that I extend their time at the end, but he was really imprecise in explaining why he wanted the break. And I didn't really, I kind of didn't know what to do with it. And so this is a thing where I'm like, I cannot wait to talk to my coach to be like, what, right. what I did. And it doesn't feel like I was very powerful. And I don't know how I could have done it differently. You know, I, and I, the other thing I wanted to comment on was about, you said this, this new coach, but it was very comfortable making you uncomfortable or something. Mm -hmm to that effect. Yeah. It reminds me a little, that reminded me a little bit when I was going through my divorce and I was working with a, a therapist and man, he would say the most insane off color, just like, like get at it, rip the bandaid all stuff to me. And it was always, 
shocking in the moment, right? It's like jumping in a cold lake, but then it was like, okay, that's actually what I needed to hear. You don't like it necessarily in the moment, but <laughs> yeah, nobody engages a therapist or a coach or whatever for, you know, for the ease of it. You know, you do it, mm -hmm. you, you can only grow when you get it. So should we, should we back up a little bit and David, maybe describe who you are, who are you <laughs> and why are we talking to you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're probably talking to me because I spent over 20 years in the travel industry exploring and engaging with the greatest passion in my life, which is traveling. Today, after uh, a, a corporate and an entrepreneurial journey in the travel space, and then a period of time working in and around the UN doing a lot of traveling, I now work as a coach and I work with people in uh, transition moments, transformation moments in their lives. So my practice today is not really about travel. It's about changing, growing, evolving as a person. Uh, but I am a deeply passionate traveler and my combined interest in the two took me to uh, the, tra the Transformational Travel Council, which I had heard about. And I get to engage with that group sort of with my professional coaching hat and commitment to transformation with a big passion for travel. And through that, I met the gang at ExploreX. So that's, I guess, why I'm here. Yeah. And you've been a close mentor to Michael over the years. Well, Michael is a kindred spirit and power of travel to transform. So I, I love it. It's, oh. Great. It's been it's been a ton of fun to connect with you and learn from you and maybe you've learned a thing or two from me and you know we've we've got lots of really great stuff ahead of us. So yeah. so David, you were in the middle of a pandemic, hopefully towards the end of the pandemic, but be that as it may. You've been coaching throughout this. What what has that been like for you? What have you seen uh, in your clients that's different? What's new? What's exciting in your coaching practice right now? It's a, it's a great question. You know, this is a, a very interesting time to be uh, working with people around transformation. You know, the focus of my practice is generally when people are making changes in their career and uh, that may be as an entrepreneur, they may be switching, uh, switching career areas, but people are in some kind of transformation. And so the, the obvious thing that might happen in our pandemic is people losing jobs or their employment changes. But what, what is, has actually been so interesting about this time is that the, the, the dramatic change in everybody's circumstances has led to a fundamental reframing that almost everybody is going through in their lives. You know, we're, we're all thinking, like, who do I want to be friends with? Who do I want to spend my time with? What do I want to be putting my energies into that matter? And whether we wanted to or not, that's what the pandemic has led almost everybody to do. So as a coach, what I'm finding is there are a lot of people who, maybe more than there were before, who have been challenged to think about what their what their time on this planet, what their days are all about. And so it's it's actually been a very rich time, I think, for people who are in the coaching business because it's been such a 
such a fruitful time for people to be thinking about what's ahead, despite the challenges. I think that's the, one of the one, one of the things we'll see ultimately as a gift of this of this experience. So, what what are you finding? If you can share this, and if you can't, because you've got clients, I understand. But what are some of these key motivators for for wanting to create? change or to do to do things different in their lives i mean yeah the, the pandemic is is the source of it but what's really what's behind it for these folks faced with the pandemic i think it presents everybody with a certain sense of the fragility of life our mm-hmm. you know the impermanence the possibility of things changing far more dramatically than uh, than we like to think is possible we tend to feel like we're in control and with that, that awareness, which I think has become greater for people, those are moments when you say, well, what, what do I want my time here to be about? And so I think it, it is just, it helps people reprioritize, reprioritize their people and, you know, and particularly what they're putting their time and energy into. There's something that's coming up for me as you're saying that, but I want, I want to ask you this question and then we can, we can chat about it. But what can we learn from that, right? Here we are pre-pandemic. We're all busy as all get out, right? We don't take time for ourselves. We don't take time to reconnect with our, our values and our priorities. Now we're, you know, we're forced into this pandemic situation. And now people are, because of this extra time, they're now they are now connecting to themselves. They do have the space to kind of go inside and do this, this work. What can we learn from that moving forward, I guess, beyond the pandemic so that we can stay connected to these passions and values and priorities? Well, I think one thing that we can learn is the power of slowing down and observing what is going on. Um, You know, it's you, you, people are, feel in many ways busier than ever. There are ways in which uh, the the pressures of Zoom meetings and the being confined, those kind of things can have you feeling like you have less time. But most people have had more time to reflect upon what is going on in their lives. Our lives have become much simpler. And I think one of the things that we can take away from this period is is to keep things as focused on those things that matter as much as possible you know one of the things that has been happening in the in the last 10 or 15 years is you know the impact of technology on our day-to-day we can feel like we're tied to our phone or or are slaves to social media you know or overwhelmed by the the entertainment choices that we have. But I think in, in these moments, we've really had to slow down and say, well, what, what matters? Because if we don't prioritize them, uh, our lives are going to really feel out of hand. And I'm hoping that as people move out of this phase, and I think the transition from our, our lockdown state to uh, returning to life is going to be, it'll be very exciting and very challenging because we've all spent a year in a very strange state. But I think one of the things we want to all try to hold on to is an awareness that there are certain things that matter to us more than others. And we want to try to hold our focus on those things and make sure that we're uh, 
moving through each day with intentional focus on the things that matter to us. So you've seen this um, kind of shift in mindset with a lot of your clients. Have you noticed that in yourself too? More of a focus on your priorities? I have. I mean, it's it's been interesting. You know, I'm, I'm a, an extrovert and, you know, I live in New York City, which is a place that's all about being, you know, out and about. And uh, so much of my world has changed because of, you know, the limitations of not being able to get out. But it's it's made it very clear to me who the most important people are uh, in my life. I mean, I miss many of the people who I don't get to see uh, in the sort of serendipitous ways of living. But those things have become very clear to me. What matters to me about the place I live and what I'm so looking forward to on the other side of this is clearer than ever. I haven't been able to travel much. I'm, I'm finally on the other side of the vaccine. So I'm in the middle of a trip right now, but you know, it's made me think really hard about where, where I want to go next. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's given me a lot of data about what I want my time coming out the other end to look like. Where do you want to go? And what, what does it look like for David Alport after this? Well, for sure, I'm excited to be in New York city during the end of the lockdown. The city is, I think it's going to be just an explosion of energy and creativity. Uh, the return of the arts is going to be amazing. That's probably a little bit away, but I just so look forward to being out and about and seeing the joy that people have, not wearing masks, being able to gather, being able to create mm. together. That's going to be amazing. I I think like most people who love to travel, that has been one of the hardest parts of, of COVID is not being able to you know, excitedly go to places and see them as they normally are. So mm -hmm. I'm super, super excited about doing that. And, you know, in terms of my coaching practice, I'm really excited to be working with people with the insights that they've gained through COVID. It's one of the questions I ask people typically when they are reaching out now is what are you noticing in your life that is new or different uh, as you're going through this experience? Mm -hmm. So I, I think we're, as hard as this has been for most people, it's one of those things like everything in life where if you can get through it, you end up just coming out the other side, illuminated and ultimately bigger than you were when you went into it. Yeah. Amen to all of that. I think one of the things that's been really powerful and, and I'm excited about moving beyond the pandemic or, or past pandemic is I think what is, as you said, David, what's most important, what is essential in our life has sort of come to the surface and what's not has just fallen away, mm. you know? And there's a lot of stuff that I've realized that like I was doing a lot or there's a million different things that it was just not, not important. But you're, it's easy to make yourself busy with that. But when that stuff falls away because you can't have access to it and you're just sort of down to bare bones, what is most important to you? You know, it strips all of that stuff away from me. And now it's like, okay, when I move forward and I can start doing all of these things, yeah, travel is a big part, right? But what, what other things that I was doing before are just 
it's not important anymore, right? What well, probably wasn't important then, <laughs> but I was still doing it. But but I know now I have the mm-hmm. clarity of seeing now that it's it's really not important, and I can focus more time, effort, and energy on the things that are and the people that are most important. So, David, t- tell us where where did your sense of wanderlust come from? Uh, I would it, for sure it came from my mother and my father. Um, that may seem super obvious, but I grew up in uh, in St. Louis and. When you grow up in the Midwest, it's not that there's nothing to do there, but there's a lot that's more exciting in almost every direction. And uh, <laughs> as a kid, my parents were both—you know—they were both very adventurous. And most of my uh, most of my childhood trips were camping trips, and I still love to camp. Although I didn't for many years when I was totally focused on my life in New York. But as as a kid, we did a lot of traveling and. I just loved it. I loved seeing different places. I was completely captivated by by air travel and have you know, I'm an aviation geek for sure. But you know, I there's almost among the many things I'm grateful for for my parents was was getting the the bug of of travel from them. But that that's for sure where it began for me. What was your first international travel experience? Uh, I'm going to throw out uh, Niagara Falls because I think it was barely international. <laughs> um, but that when, counts. I, when I was 18, I uh, when I was graduating from high school, I made a plan with my my best friend from high school, and we spent six weeks traveling throughout Europe. So it was one of those, you know, I don't know, probably 10 countries in six weeks, but, you know, in the, in one crappy, scary hotel that I would never stay in today after another. Um, But it was, it was an amazing trip. Uh, Definitely not enough time anywhere, but it was really the, the journey of being like, feeling into our adulthood and uh, taking the risk of, of having, you know, nobody to tell us what to do or where to go and hoping we could figure it out. And we had a great time and it really, really sealed my interest in seeing the world. So beyond that, where did you go that kind of left lasting impact on you? And what were some of your most favorite travel experiences? Mm-hmm. Well, I, so I've traveled. Uh, I've traveled extensively in the United States. I've been to forty-six of the fifty states, and the four I haven't been to have been the four I haven't been to for like twenty-five years. I can't seem to get to North Dakota. I should be able to get to Mississippi and Alabama, um, and strangely, Wisconsin. But I need to make a trip to just go to those four <laughs> states. Uh, and I've been to. I think about 35 or 40 countries, you know, probably as you guys know, like one of the hardest questions to answer for somebody who loves to travel is like, what is your favorite place? Because Mm -hmm. uh, it's, there's just so, there's something unique about every place I've been to, even, you know, like you kind of bring that excitement to wherever you're going. But, but, you know, the places that have left really lasting impacts on me are the ones that, tend to be full-on sensory experiences. So, you know, high on that list for sure was India. I've been to India twice. 
And India is just, you know, it's a bombardment of senses, smell, color, taste, sound, you know, it's really like, I mean, it is truly going into another world. Uh, Turkey had a similar uh, effect on me, Um, Morocco, for sure, and Thailand. I mean, those are places that I just, I can, you know, I can close my eyes and, and feel the, you know, the, the sensory experience. Those have been really- so. For those that haven't been to India, I, I have not been to India. Yeah. For example, I would love to go. It's on the list, right? As they say, what's it like stepping off the plane? Uh, like, do you are you just met immediately with sensory overload? Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's it's funny. That's exactly what happens. I mean, there. You know, you know when you go to a place and there's there's a smell. I mean, in a lot of in a lot of developing places, that might be the smell of like burning trash and stuff. I mean, that is common when you land in places. But you know, in you land in India, and you know you're assaulted by the smell. I mean, depending where you are, I mean, it's going to be you know the smell of of uh, what permeates the air there, which is incense, and you know, and you know, fires in community and food and, just, you know, the, the ride from the Delhi airport or the Mumbai airport or like any, any place you are, you're going to just look out and go, I am not in a place that is like any place I've ever been before. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that's pretty much around. true anywhere in India. You know, it, the, the roads are packed with people generally pretty polluted, lots of merchants, lots of beggars, lots of food vendors. It's it, flowers, magnolias, spices. It is just, it's a, it's sensory overload of the greatest kind. And, you know, people often are scared about India, like the intensity of it all, but it is, it, it's, it's worth, it's worth the ride because it is, it's an opportunity to see a, a part of humanity that is just unlike anything else, which is really challenges you to think about yourself and your life and the world that you mm. come from. And, yeah. So, what, so what did you learn from that first trip to India about yourself or about the world? Well, I for, for sure I learned a lot about cultures and religions that were just totally unknown to me. You know, India is, it's dominated by Muslims and the history of India is centuries of domination by one or the other with incredible, incredible artifacts from from the different cultures at different times. But there are many other religions there. And just just seeing a land that has such rich and visible history uh, I think put in context the brevity of our American past, which is uh, though though built on a a melting pot that has very much shaped our country, not anywhere near as wildly diverse as what what I was finding there. So it, it gave me a lot of perspective about about America. One of the things I remember that absolutely blew me away. This I, went, I was there, it was about 20 years ago is the first time that I went. And it may be a little bit different now. I don't love the fact that so much of the world 
is modeled on the United States culturally. But you know, you kind of expect you're going to hear our pop music everywhere. And when you go to India, it's it's a whole other world. They have their own their their whole own performance arts world. You know, their their own Bollywood, their own musicians. And that was really exciting to be in a place that was not totally oriented around moving towards a Western model. And it made me really excited. What were some of the challenges that you experienced when you when you got there? I mean, it sounds like it is completely a disorienting destination for someone from the West. What were some of the challenges that you that you were faced with? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I think I'm hesitating in to come up with an easy answer because the challenges of travel are like what make it so exciting. But I, I think it, it was the it was just the unpredictability of everything. When you're in a place that's so foreign, where like the way that people get around and communicate and the energy is so different, it just takes time to settle into the rhythm. And I think it, it, it took longer on that trip for me to get settled into the fact that I was in a very different kind of place. You know, it, it's like like many uh, many places that are in more of a state of development, there is a lot of poverty uh, mixed in, you know, and in India, that poverty is, it's just a part of every place in India. The, the wealthiest parts of cities are inches away from a lot of poverty. And that's always a challenge. It's a mindset shift that, uh, you know, we, it's, it's very easy in, in, in the comfort of a place like the United States to separate yourself or to, you know, to maybe feel bad about a misfortune, but in a place like India, you don't have that, you don't, that's not possible. And I think that, that, that is a hard part of traveling to a place uh, where poverty is kind of everywhere. And uh, so I would say that was a, that was a challenge for me. I imagine it was sort of simultaneously humbling, right? And also inspiring, right? I mean, because these people are surviving in some of the most terrible, terrible conditions possible, right? Yes. I mean, it's humbling. And I mean, you recognize that people find a way to survive even at the, you know, at, at the bottom of the totem pole. But the, you know, the, I think the inspiration that I've felt when I've traveled to places with a lot of poverty or very visible challenge is to reflect on what I can do. And in fact, that experience led me, it's part of why I've always been such an interested, why I've been so interested in travel is to understand the human condition. And when I, finished doing my my travel business which was focused on the lgbtq market and i did that for years when that was a big part of my own journey i pivoted to the world of global development and great partly because i wanted to see more of the world through that lens and partly because i wanted to be able to have an impact and you know one of the things that that you talk about the transformative power of travel and when you look at the people in our world now, 
you know, the Bill Gateses of the world, and there are many less known than him who are really driving big change in the world. It's because they had a travel experience where they, you know, that maybe their business took them to, where they had an opportunity to understand the challenges out there, or maybe they were running companies that relied on, you know, workforces that were quite unfortunate. So like travel is also just, it's a gift in terms of how we learn to lift up the world to become a better place. And it's, mm-hmm. I love when people have opportunities to see that kind of, um, mm-hmm. to see other ways that people live and incorporate that into how they live in their own world. I'll, I'll share one other thing just on this. I think most people have traveled to a place that's very deserty, where maybe there's, you've got to be more cautious about how much water you use or like you come back and you realize, my God, I am throwing plastic away. I'm like using resources so sloppily Mm -hmm. differently than I was doing on my trip. Like those are the kind of things that you immediately change your perception when you get, when you come back. And I I Mm -hmm. love when those things happen. I want to ask you this, David, you, you mentioned that you were, you set out to, in your own words, explore the human condition. What have you learned? What I've learned is that the human spirit is very, very strong. And even in the most difficult of conditions, uh, people can find ways to thrive. And they generally thrive by leaning on community and building community. That's, that's I would say, the main thing that I've learned, probably the most, and, you know, in India would be a great version of that. I mean, it, it is uh, super, super humbling to, uh, to enter a slum. I mean, I've been in slums in India. I've been in slums in uh, Kenya and South Africa. Yeah. It's very, very humbling, but also really inspiring to see what, what flourishes. Like, you know, you, how people build businesses, how people stay alive. And it's, you know, it's, it is all by being together and creating community. Um, and, you know, when you get to, you know, and you come to appreciate it, like, there's a very clear reason why I fell in love with New York City. And it's because it's this is the most marvelous creation of what happened when all sorts of people came together and strove to build better lives and then built this magical, incredible city. And you see that everywhere you look. And it's so like, for me, the the great lesson is a lesson of uh, is community and collaboration. And that when those things are possible, when we're able to thrive as individuals and come together as people, really anything can happen. And uh, that that's, I think been, you know, the great lesson. And I think so much of what people are trying to do in in the world of change is enable people to get an education, you know, find their way to contribute meaningfully. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the path that we hope to, to pay for people as we pull them out of poverty. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, what good government is all about. And, uh, and we see that, you know, societies that allow people to flourish and connect and create are the ones that, that end up thriving. So, all right, that leads me to a question, and this is going to sound totally 
dichotomous or whatever here, but two different experiences that you've had that might actually speak to the same idea of collaboration, community, creativity, the refugee camps in Kenya and Burning Man. Okay. Well, thank you for bringing that up because I know I, I told you this once. And so, you know, for any of your listeners who uh, have been to Burning Man, you'll know what I'm talking about. For people who haven't been there, you've probably heard about it on, on anything from South Park to uh, <laughs> you know, just in the news. But, you know, I went to, I've been to Burning Man several times and uh, for sure, my first trip to Burning Man was perhaps like the the greatest travel moment of my life. You know, to be uh, taking this journey, you know, five hours into the desert, one of the most barren deserts, certainly in, in North America, and then suddenly be presented, you know, landing in a world that was completely created in a few days by the community that was there is is mind-blowing in a million ways. I mean, it's a mind-blowing experience in terms of the art and the music and the nature and the dancing and the experience of impermanence, all the things that Burning Man is. But it's most amazing in that, you know, out of nothing, people show up with their ideas and their commitment to building something together uh, individually and as part of a community. And suddenly there's this thriving playground, you know, that, that would blow any human being away or Martian. I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, and it's, you know, for me, it's, it's a way of sourcing, uh, inspiration, you know, more than anything. And one year, the year was 2008 and I was hoping to go to Burning Man and I was unable to go because an opportunity came up for me to, travel with uh, an, an NGO I was working for called FilmAid. Uh, and FilmAid, uh, it just as a background, and it still exists, they use film, big outdoor screenings, as a way of bringing people together in challenged communities. So they come together to watch movies and be entertained, but those gatherings give the are an opportunity to present critical information to the community. And FilmAid works in refugee camps. And I went on a trip to Kenya where I visited two large refugee camps uh, in northern Kenya. One is called Kakuma and one is called Dadaab. At the time, Kakuma had 50,000 people living in it and Dadaab had 250,000 people living in it. And this is a, I'll talk about Kakuma where I landed. So it, it was in this pretty desolate desert in northern Kenya about 50 miles south of the Sudan, uh, the Sudanese border. And I did not know what to expect. Many people there have been there for years and years. They're, they're people uh, who've left their own countries and are living there waiting to be either repatriated or to uh, go someplace else to live. And I was expecting to be super depressed by a refugee camp. And of course, their life was challenging, but what I saw was this community of about the same size as Burning Man, 50,000 people, where people were getting around by bikes, which is the same mode of transportation that you get around at Burning Man. And it was a flourishing of an economy that had, you know, th there is access to other parts that people are able to uh, gain 
items from their family and other places. There is some uh, merchant access to the Kenyan community around around the camp. And of course, there's lots and lots of aid that flows in. But as the sun was setting that first night and the moon was rising, it was the week of Burning Man. And I knew that it was the same moon that was over my friends who were having a very different experience in the Nevada desert. But the mountains surrounding the camp were were a, a beautiful desert mountain range the energy in the community of Kakuma was one of people connecting and having meals and finding joy in the stars and the moon and their ability to get another good night's sleep and their hope of, you know, of a better world. And it was just, they couldn't have been more different circumstances, but there was a common humanity that was so powerful. And I felt a moment of just being connected really to the whole world by being connected to these two events that were so different, but that shared, you know, one planet, one kind of topography, you know, one human community of 50,000 people trying to survive and thrive. That was uh, one of, one of the great travel moments of my life for sure. So what's funny is I had no, you, we had not talked about that story before. I knew there was Burning Man and I knew that there was Kenya, but I had no idea that, that, that you had such an incredible overlap, emotional overlap between yeah. the two. Huh. Yeah, it was really, uh, it was really, really, really wonderful. I mean, it's so amazing when you see something that is familiar enough when you're traveling, but different enough that it just changes your perspective. I mean, I'm sure you guys have both experienced that a million times. That is so cool. Just all the parallels there are to those two very different situations. Um, But David, I'm really curious. So you said that you've been to India twice, Burning Man several times, and I know a bunch of other places multiple times. So I'm curious why you choose to revisit these same places over and over again. And, um, what do you get out of each experience that's different from the last? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, of course, one of the things that's so hard when you love to travel, like we all do, is that you go to great places and you never can get enough. You know, it's almost like the longer you stay in a place, the, the more you even want to stay longer because you get to be intimate with it and you get to know it on a deeper level. So there's always the tug of wanting to for me of wanting to go to new places I've never been and wanting to go back to places that I love. The thing that I love about returning to a place besides just the the simple thing of of getting to go back to some place that, that you love is that you, I end up bringing an evolved me to the place that I've been before. Hmm. So you get to experience like you get to have an experience of how you are growing and changing what's interesting to you. That's different. What you've gone through, what you, you know, like that, that there's a real magic to that. And I, I, you know, I like that trip I was telling you that I went to when I was 18, you know, we went to London and Paris and Madrid and uh, you know, Berlin. And it was just like all the, the biggies for three or four days at a time. But the next time that I went back to Paris was 10 or 
10 or 12 years later. And at that point, I had left home. I'd gone to college. I'd moved to New York. I'd begun working. And I was a fundamentally different person at 28 years old than I was at 18 years old. And it was, I mean, I recognized the sights of Paris, but I was... I was experiencing it completely differently. You know, my I'd studied so much more history and art and had met so many different people. And that was that was that first time I was like, oh my God, I can always come back to a place and it will be new and exciting and different because I'm I'm my experiences have changed mm-hmm. who I am. So that mm-hmm. that's the that's the excitement of going back. There's also that other thing of if you go back with somebody else, you know, like mm. if you got married or had a kid and then get to go experience the same place with those people, it's a totally amazingly different experience. And, you know, and I've right. talked to people who I have a good friend who like Paris happens to be her, like practically her second home. But when she got married and got to go with her husband and then when they had a kid and they got to go together, each of those things just made made it a whole new journey yeah have you ever heard of the the perspective circle exercise no do tell all right this is this might be terrible for audio but apologize in advance (laughs) so it's this thing i used to do when i used to when i worked in organizational development and i for some reason what you were talking about going back more than once paris hasn't changed i mean it hasn't it hasn't right but you've changed dramatically right and the way that you're experiencing Paris and seeing Paris uh, has changed. And so this idea of the perspective circle is this exercise that I used to do. And I actually did it at a conference once in Greenland and uh, we'll, I'll do it here in a second. And the entire rest of the conference it was the keynote speech and the entire rest of the conference, I had people walking around trying to do this damn perspective circle thing. Cause they were trying to figure out how it worked. But the idea is uh, I'll, well, let's walk through it together and we'll see if, if it makes sense. So if you, Take your index finger, your pointer finger, and point it at the ceiling. Play along here, David and Robin. All right. And and imagine there's a clock on the ceiling. It's like an old school analog clock. And your finger's pointed at 12. And start moving it around in a circle uh, clockwise, keeping your finger pointed at the ceiling. Right. And you're moving your finger in a circle in a clockwise direction. So keep going in that circular direction. Keep, keep, keep your finger pointed at the ceiling, but slowly bring your elbow down, right? So that your arm eventually comes down towards your waist. Keep moving in this clockwise direction. And now when you get it down to about your waist, I see David, David's figuring this out. Um, <laughs> okay. Taking his time. <laughs> Robin, so now you're looking at what, what direction is your finger moving now as you're moving in the clockwise direction? Oh, it's moving counterclockwise. Counterclockwise. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know if people can see faces, but I'm looking very confused. <laughs> <laughs> well, most people are, but the, and, and I, I, used to, I used to love to do this. And people, I see, Robin, that look that you've got now. Right. And, no, and I, would, I just did it again. I'm trying to figure out where the shift was. Sure. Well, because the shift is in perspective. The shift is in the fact that you're looking at it from a right, different angle. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Right. And so 
anyway, we'll, maybe we'll share the video of this at some point, but um, <laughs> yeah, but that's the point, right? Is that when you go to a place, right? Paris is the, is the, is the movement of your hand, right? Pointing at the ceiling. It hasn't changed. It changes a little bit, mm. but what's really changed more than anything is how you're looking at it above and below your perspective has shifted. Yeah. And that changes the way I we love see that. Things. Yeah. And travel is, I mean, our perspectives change when we go, when we go, um, our perspective has changed when we return to a place, but you know, I guess the, for me, the real magic of travel is how it changes your perspective, you know, and yeah. mm-hmm. that's that transformational power. Yeah. Now, David, I know in your coaching intention is a real, is a big part of your work with your, I mean, and this is coming from knowing you, it's also coming from having worked with you a little bit as a, as one of your, with you being my coach Mm. a few times. And so how do you bring that intentionality to your travels and how do you recommend other people who are setting forth on a journey can bring this intentional mindset to what they're doing? Why is it so important? Uh, It's a great question. And I want to start maybe by just talking about intention within my coaching practice, because it's such a fundamental part of it. You know, whenever we're Whenever, I mean, it really, I mean, it's, it's a fundamental part of life. I describe, you know, intention is that, that powerful, that sort of superpower that helps you know where you're going. And so in my coaching where clients are, you know, they're doing networking, they're doing exploring, they're trying to move forward in their lives. It's super important to make all of your engagements count and the way to make your engagements count in, in a changed experience like coaching or in life is to be able to ask the question of like, what, what do I, what, why am I doing this thing that I'm doing? What do I want to get out of it? And I find that when people build that practice in every part of their life, their life ends up being much richer. You know, when you, can ask yourself before moving into a meeting or a phone call or going to a party or whatever, what, what's my intention? If you're connected to it, you're likely going to go into that ready to have the experience or gain the knowledge that you're seeking. So, so I work with people a lot on building their muscles of intention and this could not be more true and helpful for anything more than for travel. Because whenever we're traveling, I mean, one thing that you know about travel is that you're going to be committing time or money or energy or probably all of them to leaving your regular life and going off and doing something. And so the the very simple thing I would offer from that intention lens is just know what you're intending to have happen when you travel. Like, And that does not mean throw spontaneity out. That's one of the things people often will ask when I talk about intention and travel. It just means staying connected enough with the reason you're, you're choosing to put your time and energy and money on a journey. And that may be, it generally is one of three things. You're either looking to relax and restore, you know, you're looking to grow, you know, or you're looking to connect like almost any trip, has some version of one of those things, uh, maybe lots of them. And there are many nuances, you know, within any of those. But I think when people stay connected to their intention, 
you're really able to move through a travel journey and and have it unfold in the way that you hope. Um, so I'll I, I can go on and on and on about this and you know ways I've seen you know we all fail in this repeatedly and you know or can get d we we can get thrown for a loop because travel is we're we're entering the unknown and many many things the the best part of the most smooth part of travel is when we're fantasizing about the trip we're about to take once we're on it inevitably <laughs> things are not going to go right and the question is you know how do you react to all of the things good and bad that are happening in mm. the moment and your intention provides the compass to help you react. That's what I yeah. would say. What kind of intentions do you set for yourself when you're going on a trip? Uh, I would say my primary intention, because it's one of those things that I'm not always so good at, is to be present in the moment. Um, I can get really caught up in, like, I, I get really lost and caught up in maps. I love to know where I am in a strange mm -hmm. place. <laughs> And like, it's weird. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not particularly Asperger's-y, but I'm in, really into maps and I like to know where I am or like where the things that I'm going to go to are in relation to where I am. And I can get stuck trying to figure that out and then am missing like all the magic yeah. that's happening right around me. So stay, staying present is important. And when, when that's an intention for me, I can, it helps remind me to like, like I, I can use the awareness of like, oh, I'm getting lost in my, in my obsession about place. And then I'll use that as a trigger to say, okay, well then just stop and look around and notice colors and smells and sounds and then decide, do I want to go back into the map or do I just want to follow something that is interesting to me? So that's an intention yeah. that serves me really well. I have a hypothesis for you about your map. <laughs> yes. Well, I think, no, this is serious. If you think about your work as a coach, you're helping people get from where they are to where they want to be. Yeah. And a large part of that is helping them figure out where the hell they are. Right. So you're helping them orient their lives and then plan on how they're going to get from where they are to where they want to be. Yeah. I, I think, think it's all connected. I think it's a great, <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's better than a theory, Michael. I think it's reality. And it, it's true. Like my orientation and probably strength as a coach is, is helping the client define their journey and then figuring out how they're going to get there and then becomes the work that can work, you know, that, that can be a structure that can work against you when you want to be fully in the moment. And yeah, that I think, I think you're right on. So you, I know you have, we've had these conversations before, but you've had, you have like three key tools or hacks or whatever we want to call it for traveling with intention, right? The first one you just alluded to, right? Which is asking, what do I want to have at the end of this trip that I don't have now? What are the other two? Okay, so the question you just said is, what do I want to have at the end of this trip that I don't have now? To me, that's like the fundamental intention question with have not necessarily being an object, but being a state of mind or new learning or deeper connection. Feeling. Yeah. The next question that I think is, a, is a, one of my three golden questions is, how do I want to be when I'm on this trip? So it's a question of being, 
And that, you know, that is a really powerful anchor for one's travel. And, you know, so for me, present would almost always be an answer to that. Open is usually a state of being that I want to have. Curious is generally a state of being that I want to have. You know, in my work with people, you know, and I often will work with my coaching clients when they're getting ready to go on a business trip or a pleasure trip, and I'll just play with them around intention. You know, but people will say, I want to be light. You know, I want to be connected. I want to be uh, adventurous. So, so being, I find, is a really powerful tool for uh, preparing for a trip and staying connected. And then the third one, which is also related to it, is I, I like to uh, create a mantra for a trip. Like have, I often challenge people to think, well, if you could have an anchoring phrase, one that in any moment you could come back to and it would bring you back to like what your trip is all about. Uh, I, I like to declare a mantra that that often will include presence or include intention. Um, but it's really fun to work with people to try to get them to come up with a phrase of no more than eight or 10 words that if they repeat it, it really anchors them and what they're trying to do on that trip. You know, what, what strikes me again, again, we've had these conversations before, but it's just that everything that you just said applies to travel. And everything that you just said applies to life at home, right? And how to navigate through this crazy journey that we call life. Yeah. You know, one of my absolutely favorite phrases as a coach, which I often will use in pointing out something that maybe isn't so good that somebody's doing, but, but is just a truism of people, is that the way we show up one place is the way we show up every place. And, you know, and we can change and grow, but, you know, if you're living your day to day are not able to be intentional or are not able to be present, it's going to be very difficult when you travel to be intentional or to be present. You know, the, the saddest thing is to clear the space, spend the money, make the time to go on a trip and come back and feel like you're just where you were before you left. You know, that's the, that's the great miss of travel. And so, you know, I know, you know, one of the things that I just love about Explorer X is that you guys are all about how can the travel journey be one that guarantees you come back somehow with things that are different or that you wanted. That's why, you know, it's why I was drawn to you guys and to the Trans Transformational Travel Council. And so it's, it's really worth putting that time and energy and thought into, you know, into making sure that you're not being, you, that you are being mindful when you travel. It's, it's too easy in our lives to not be mindful. We're inundated with calls, texts, meetings, things that are about other people's needs and our, our decisions on how we meet them, entertainment, movies, TV, like the demands are, intense and in order to move forward we've got to make sure that we're making room for the things that that matter most and i think travel is one of those things that matters most it is just and you know you can be transformed on a seven-day caribbean cruise you know if, if that's sure. if that's 
<laughs> what your your mind or body need or what your family needs. It's just But I think and I think that speaks to maybe something bigger than that, which is that it's not a matter of where you go and not even necessarily what you do there from an an experience perspective or an activity perspective, right? It's, it's, what's the approach? What's the mindset? What's the attitude that you're bringing to this? Right. And yeah, people joke around. My example used to be that you you can go to Disney world and have a life changing and transformative experience, you know, but, (laughs) but you can, if you go there and you approach it with a certain mindset and I'm going because I want to experience or have, or do or feel a, B or C, whether it's connectedness, relaxation, growth or learning, right? Your, your three big things, David, whatever it might be, and you approach it and you have your mantra and you have your intention and you are curious and you are open and you are mindful and you, any place can be, can, can be the stage. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You, you know, you mentioned Disneyland or Disney world and, you know, uh, most people have been to a Disney at some point. And it's, it's, a, it's a great, I think most people go to Disneyland you know, at least a trip is to take their kids or their nieces or nephews or whatever, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a rite of passage if you're lucky enough to be able to afford it. And so what would most people's intention going to Disneyland with their kids be? It's, you know, it's to, you know, provide their child with, you know, just a, a creative mind blowing moment but especially to build a connection with the kid, to have an yeah. experience that is one that collectively you'll remember. Well, it is very easy to get thrown at Disneyland. I mean, there are lines and there are, you know, things. $30 hot dogs. Yeah, $30 hot dogs. <laughs> and, you know, if you're with little kids, they're going to get cranky. There are a million things that can go wrong. And, and divert your attention from what you're really trying to do. And so staying anchored in the bigger thing is a way of, of you know, you know, tripping your odds that you're going to hold on to what matters and not spin out and, and come back from the trip and reflect on the trip and, you know, hold on to those things. So like this is, it's, it's, it's a great example that so many of us have an opportunity to, to meet or not. I can imagine imagine a mantra being particularly important. Like, <laughs> yeah. I will not kill anyone. I will not kill anyone. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. So, David, you you say that you don't have any friends who don't like to travel. Why is that? Well, I say that and. I think it actually is probably true. You know, to me, to me, um, traveling is just, it's an indicator of one's curiosity about the world around you. And, you know, certainly if there are people who can't afford to travel in the way that, that, that may take them to big or different or transformative experiences, but, you know, there are all sorts of ways to travel and, I think if somebody was not interested in seeing or knowing the world beyond their own, they probably would not be a very interesting person to me because I'm really interested in humanity. And so, yeah, I would say that it's, Uh I think it's fair to say, I don't think I have any friends who don't like to Do you guys? I don't know. I was trying to think. Um, 
I don't know that I, I think do. you brought up an important distinction, though, because I, I have friends that would love to, family members that would love to, that for a variety of reasons can't. And I know that that's not what you're talking yeah. about. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but those yeah. that are lucky enough to have the financial resources to be able to go, do mm-hmm. I know anyone that, that has those resources, is physically you know, capable of going, you know, and they don't travel, probably not. I mean, it's, it's so amazing. I mean, I, you know, I've been traveling, you know, on my own for, you know, 30, 40 years. And, you know, the, the travel world is, has exploded so dramatically and really travel is accessible to millions and millions more people, billions than, than, could have traveled, you know, you know, even 25 years ago. And for every one of those people, travel offers an opportunity to transform. And it's, it's the great, the great gift of travel. And, you know, we are, you know, certainly back to maybe the beginning of the conversation, you know, the pandemic is also having, having us think about how we travel, what the impact of our travel is, um, and that, that I think is going to be very, very interesting. The industry is going to change as a result of this period. I think people will hopefully be traveling with more intention and mindful and really joyfully connected to what they're doing. But, you know, the, the industry, the industry, I think, is recognizing the, the potential for people to have a growth experience when they when they hit the road in any way and more and more, we see more and more of it shaping, you know, shaping experiences so that we can be more mindful and growth oriented through our travel. It's reminding me what you're saying is true. And it's reminding me of a conversation Robin and I had, you know, yesterday with our team, which is that there, there are a lot of people, we talk about transformational travel, right? The, the council and, you know, a lot of the work that we do at Explore X is, to guide and support people and having these life-changing experiences, right? But let's not lose sight of the fact that by setting an intention, right? By focusing on your ways of being, right? Being more mindful, being more humble, being intentional, being curious, challenging yourself to engage differently and deeper while you're traveling. Not only are you more likely to experience some changed and altered state, right? This sort of your intention for the trip, whether, right? You're also going to have a better time while you're traveling, right? You're going to have a lot more fun if you're asking people questions and leaving your map at home one day. And, you know, that's a heart attack waiting to happen for you, David, but like, you know, like going out there and engaging in a different way or spending a day speaking the language or all of these, you know, whatever you can do to really engage deeper in the experience you're just going to have a better time traveling, right? It it might be your best travel experience ever. And by the way, in doing that, you're going to experience so many things that are going to give you inspiration to reflect and to process and to make meaning and to shift perspectives. And there's new, right? So all these benefits that we want to get out of travel, right? Seeing ourselves in the world differently, taking new actions, adopting new mindsets, all of that comes not, in spite of, but because of the way that we've engaged with that travel experience. And I would also say to people that don't necessarily have that, that clear why that clear intention that I'm going on this trip because I need clarity around blah. Right. 
they just go because they like to travel. Well, they they also experience a lot of be- of these benefits, right? Afterwards, because they're they mm. they have engaged experience, you know, in a more mindful and intentional way. And, yeah, and travel is. I mean, it's got it's about it's about expansion. It's about connection. It's about restoration. But it is about fun. Like I mean, it's it's fun to travel. I think I don't think anybody travels for you know without that that desire and uh, some of this stuff is really just about having tools to manage things that might work against that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we do want to start wrapping things up, but before we let you go, um, we do have a few final questions that we want to ask you. So first off, what is your favorite book of all time and why? My favorite book of all time is a book that I've read fairly recently, which is called The Overstory by Richard Powers. It won the Pulitzer Prize two years ago, and it's a sweeping human story that is a story of people's relationship with trees. And it's an inc- it's, a, it's, it's almost like a book of environmental fiction, which sounds really unappealing. But it's a, uh, an incredible story about 12 characters who are all bound. I see Michael is holding the Michael's book up. Michael's holding it, yeah. Who are all bound by, together by some experience they had in their very different lives uh, connected to trees. And then the, that's sort of the overstory, the human story. And the story that they're all engaged in is related to... Uh, protecting the the great forests of the Pacific Northwest. And it, it's a it's a beefy book, but if you have any interest in love and nature and any interest in understanding people, it is a thrill ride of a book. And I could not recommend it more highly. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to add it to my list. I have stacks of books around, but that's literally the next one on my my to, to read list. So that makes me very happy to hear you say that, David. David, what's been the most memorable or best, but most memorable meal that you've ever had while traveling? Well, you should have prepared me for this question. Uh, I, had <laughs> I had so, so many good ones. It was in Prince Edward Island in Canada. And there's a place called the Inn at Bay Fortune. And you know this is this is up in the Canadian Maritimes, so the summertime period up there is very short, but it's a very very rich growing period. And the uh, the Inuit Bay Fortune, which is run by one of the most famous chefs in Canada, they do this meal. About 25, 30 people sit down for the meal. It's one seating a night. And everything that they serve comes out of the sea or off of the land on their farm, in their bay. And they set up across the land and inside course after course that you get to watch them prepare. They take you through the preparation and you sit and have this four hour phenomenal meal with all these other people who are into the both the the agriculture and the aquaculture of of the meal uh, and you're watching it being prepared you're really intimately in it with all the people who are the the farmers and the fishermen who are 
making the meal. And it was just, it's an immersive experience. And anyone looking for an incredible experience, if you end up finding yourself in Nova Scotia or Prince Edward Island, I highly recommend it and a Bay Fortune. David, what's one thing you always bring with you when you travel? I always bring with me this really, really comfortable pair of eye shades. Uh, I keep them in a zipper on the top of my uh, suitcase. And that way, there's something for me about either having a pillow over my eyes or having some weight there and also just sleeping in the dark that makes any place a lot more comfortable. So that is my most important go-to pack on every trip item. The, the million dollar question, David, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Well, if I could, I guess my, my immediate answer is if I could go anywhere in the world, it would be high enough in space that I could look down and see the world. Uh, and I have a feeling that I'm not going to be able to afford a seat on Virgin Galactic uh, in this lifetime, <laughs> sadly. Uh, you know, I think about that in terms of places I've never been and, and maybe places that I've been that I would like to go back to. One of each. Yeah. Uh, the, the place in the world that, that I've never been that I would, I guess I would really like to see the most is, uh, is Antarctica, just because it's a, it's a completely other world and I've never seen anything like it. And I know that it would be pretty, pretty awe-inspiring to see it especially since it's changing rapidly as the rest of the world is. And, you know, the place that I just love going back to over and over is Italy. Uh, it, there's so many Italy's that I've been to and love, but it's just, it's, it's so soulful. The food is great. The history is great. The art is great. The fashion is great. The, the surroundings are so spectacular uh, so it, it, it seems like an obvious, but it just never, ever disappoints. Have you seen the new uh, Stanley Tucci yes, show? Yes, it's amazing. It's kind of hard to watch a show with so much delicious looking food, like and be sitting on the couch or on your bed. It's a little right. maddening, but but uh, it's like, it's so exuberant in its love of the culture that creates that food. Yes. Really love that show. I've actually had a few people reach out and say that they've been watching that show and now they, they've moved Italy to the top of their to-go list. All right. We'll explore X to Italy. Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What's one thing you've missed the most during the pandemic? The thing, the thing that I've missed the most for sure is, is just the, the serendipity of bumping into people that that especially the people you know that are not the closest ones in your life, you know, just all the people that kind of make up the mosaic of what your world is like. And I've really missed that. And, you know, as, as an extrovert, I, I've missed just the possibilities of meeting new people. You know, it doesn't happen all the time, but, you know, whether it's going out to bars or restaurants or, mm -hmm. you know, just being in stores, like it's just, like that's that that's sort of the unexpected parts of life have been what has been missing the most for me. And mm. it's what I'm most excited about returning to on the other side. Also the best parts of travel too. Totally. Yeah. What's one thing that you've gained or learned from the pandemic? 
I think I've learned, I've learned or, or had reinforced who and what is most important to me in my life because those have been the things that I've been very focused on ensuring are there in presently, you know, especially people. I think during the pandemic, we all have had, you know, serious needs to connect, to feel loved, to feel safe. And uh, you have to be deliberate about asking for those things. And so I, it's become very clear to me where I can get the stuff that I need the most. And uh, I value I value those things the most while I miss some of the other things a lot. Uh, what do you love most about what you do? Oh, that's a a great question and an easy one for me to answer. For me, the greatest thing about life is that we have we have an endless opportunity to keep creating our lives. You know, it's sometimes that creation comes from hard things and sometimes it comes from good things. But life to me remains exciting when we know we can keep creating. And so, you know, what I do professionally is support people in continuing to create their lives. And so I feel very blessed every time I work with somebody that I get to be part of that journey with them and see it unfold because it's the commitment that I have to living my own life. If you could go back and give your 20 year old self one piece of advice, what would it be? It would be, to not let the hard times stop you and to recognize that that's where you're going to do your learning and growing. So just be bold and facing what is hard or uncomfortable and trust that you will become better because of it. Beautiful. Obstacles make me stronger, right? David, last question for you. What are you most proud of in your life? That's a really easy question for me to answer. Uh, For me, the thing that I'm most proud of is that I came out of the closet and got to the other side. And, uh, you know, that happened when I was in my late teens and early 20s. But, you know, coming out or for somebody who is not, doesn't have that specific journey, the experience of finding your way to be true to who you are is is a game shifter in life. And for me, when I got to the other side of that and uh, was able to be comfortable with who I was, uh, it allowed me to see that beauty and individuality in everybody else and to appreciate, uh, to let go of judgment of other people and to just become a better person. So, I mean, I'm proud of having made that leap, but I'm so proud of it because it allowed me to become a person who was so accepting of other people because of my own journey of self-acceptance. Oh, that's beautiful, man. I love that. You know, it it reminds me of something I'll just share this but like we hear we hear about rites of passages and something about what you just said sparked that thought for me is that there are so many people that are stuck they might be 40 50 60 they're stuck in that adolescent mindset right and 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 approach uh, and understanding of who they are 
and those that have had the fortune forced themselves through this rites of passage, been invited, been, been shepherded through the rites of passage and come out the other side of those that we see are being these wise, mature, grounded people. I'm not sure that makes any sense. That's, it makes I mean, sense in my head. It may not make sense in my words, yeah, but yeah, I mean, wisdom is, wisdom is, uh, it's, it's not gifted. It's earned and learned. And, uh, you know, I think we all thrive to be, you know, wiser and wiser, but you've got to be, you've got to be present to, to what's unfolding in front of you. David, thank you. It's always good to chat. Always good to connect with you. We, we really, really appreciate you. For those that don't know who you are or, or, but would like to connect with you, how can they find you? Where can people connect with you? Yeah, you can just go to my website, which is really where my coaching stuff is. It's at davidalport.com, all phonetic, D-A-V-I-D-A-L-P-O-R-T. Anybody who's interested in, I'm very generous around connecting with people who are in moments of change or transition. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm not the right person or if somebody just wants to talk, I'm, you know, I can get people connected to the right person, but I, I love talking about transformation. I love when people are in uh, in moments of it or excited about it. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm around and excited to stay connected to you guys. Awesome, David. Uh, thanks again. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Be sure to follow us on social media at Go Explore X. Shoot us an email. Hello at explorer-x.com. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay intentional.